Keyboard Kimura is presented by OneMo, the first size-inclusive, big and tall brand. If you've been rocking with me for a while, you know I'm always rocking OneMo, and there's a bunch of reasons why. In addition to the fact that I straight up love their gear, from the different pants and shorts to the shirt varieties, hoodies, zips, the hot sauce, it's also because they understand that size doesn't matter, fit does. I'm a bigger guy, and I carry it all in my belly, which meant for me, finding shirts that were long enough to not be revealing when I raised my arms, or that kept me covered if I had to crouch down to pick something up was a challenge, but One Bone solved that. All the tops have added length to cover the gap between your shirt and your pants, and everything is made from premium fabrics, with tops ranging in size from medium to 8XL, and bottoms going from a waist size of 30 to 65 inches. From flyweight to heavyweight and beyond, One Bone has got you covered. They offer free exchanges and returns in order to guarantee your perfect fit, and you can even buy now and pay later with four interest-free payments. On top of that, they're Canadian, just like me. And for me, that's important. New gear drops every couple of weeks, including the fall collection hitting the market recently, and it's got some absolute bangers in it. And the website and app are always loaded with the latest gear, styles, and offerings. As a One Bone Ambassador, I've got you covered with a one-time promo code for 15% off your entire order. All you have to do is visit the link in the show notes, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite, and enter the promo code Spencer Kite. That's my name, all caps, all one word, at checkout, and you'll get 15% off your entire order. It is a one-time use code, but I'm confident that once you cop some One Bone and become part of the One Bone family, you'll understand why my entire wardrobe consists of One Bone apparel. One Bone, the biggest brand. Greetings and salutations. What is up, everybody? God, it feels good to be home. Feels good to be home. Your friendly neighborhood Spencer Man, E. Spencer Kite, here on Keyboard Kimura. One question for every fight for UFC 294 takes place Saturday, 7 a.m. start time here on the West Coast of Canada from Etihad Arena in Abu Dhabi. This, of course, is presented to you by the fine folks of One Bone. I said it yesterday on the podcast. I will say it again now on video as well as audio. Thank you to everybody that reached out, wondering where I was, to everybody that has stuck with me, bared with me, as I've navigated some some life stuff these last couple of weeks, just taking some time to get myself in order, get some stuff figured out, work on some stuff, make sure I take the time. I'm always preaching at the end of these shows to make sure you love yourself, love one another, to care one another, all of those things I needed to take care of myself. So prioritized getting some other stuff done and, and taking care of some things, but I am back. It is 294 fight week. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. This was always the plan. This was the goal was to be back for this week, to be feeling good. We made sure to get here. And now we're here with one question for a fight card where I have many a question. And some of them have changed even in the last 12 hours since I wrote out the initial script for this, since I broke down 
the initial talking points for this. So we will get right into it. Main event for the lightweight title, Islam Mahashev versus Alexander Volkanovsky. My question is how does each man respond after the first fight? Rematches like this, especially of fights that were close, competitive, and feature people at the absolute apex of the sport are always fascinating to me. I said yesterday, wouldn't necessarily have been my pick to go this direction, though I understand it. And as I speak with Volk or, or watch the interviews of, of my colleagues speaking with Volk and speaking with Islam Ahashev, putting putting out some questions that I put to them, it's gotten me more excited because I think there's a chip on the shoulder of Islam Mahashev coming into this one. I think the way that people responded to the first fight and reacted to the first fight in terms of praising Volkanovsky, elevating Volkanovsky, and not necessarily having it be about him where he defeated another pound for pound great where he defeated another champion, didn't sit well with him. He said a couple of times in an interview he did with UFC Digital, people were talking after that fight. And it wasn't just like, hey, we we did well and it got people going. It felt like, or it sounded to me, like people were saying some stuff and there were whispers about maybe he won and how good he looked and things like that. And he sort of closed out by saying, I'm going to go out here and make a point on Saturday. I'm going to destroy this guy. I want to see if that's possible. Because while he's saying all that, we've seen some reports both, you know, we've seen some reports from Abu Dhabi about him looking gaunt, about him not looking great. The weight cut is obviously a thing that he struggles with. Every time he's touched on the fact that the cut wasn't bad last time in, in Australia in February, but it was the rehydrating process and getting some of the weight back on and getting back up after getting down to 155 was a bit of a challenge. So that's going to be an interesting part of this for me is how does that cut go? How does his body respond? How does he look when he steps into the octagon on Saturday? On the Volkanovsky side of things, Sean Madden and I talked about it on the coach conversation. Volk talks, talked about it in his interview with my colleague Mackenzie Pavisic. This is a dude that just goes into these things and comes out of that February fight and goes, great, what do we need to work on? And it's year round and it's constant. There's no rest. And so I'm really fascinated to see what it looks like when they get in there, because I think there are takeaways from that first fight on both sides. I think Islam Mahashev had better success on the feet than he did in terms of the grappling. Now, certainly he got to the back in round four and controlled that entire round. But there were scrambles and exchanges throughout that fight prior to that that I think contributed to the waning of his gas tank in the fifth round that led to him being in a bad spot at the end of that fight and in a bad way at the end of that fight. I think we see him try to be the more physical man on the feet and rely on that striking a little bit more. I think Volkanovsky, and he said it himself, he went into that first fight full of respect for Islam fully aware of everything that he does well and what he needed to be aware of. And this time around, he's not going to give him that same respect. It's not that he doesn't respect him. It's that he understands that I can't give him that space. I can't give him that edge of 
allowing him to dictate terms and being so aware of what he might do, he needs to go in there and do what he's capable of doing. And so for me, when you take the fight is only eight months or what eight months previous, eight months in the past, and they've had this time to build, they've had this time to grow. I I believe that both would have been thinking about the other. They both said that they knew another re, a rematch was coming. A second fight would eventually materialize. I know Volk was preparing for this. I know he was working on it. I would assume Mahashev well as, was as well. I think this is going to be another fascinating fight. I think it can go any number of ways, just like the first fight. I have a greater sense of Alexander Volkanovsky winning this time because we've seen him have success and go 25 minutes with Mahashev the first time. But I won't be surprised by any any outcome. And I just can't wait to sit down on Saturday and see how this one plays out. It is an absolutely fascinating fight to me. I can't wait. Co-main event. Kamaro Usman versus Hamzat Chemaev. My original question was, what if Chemaev really just is a wrecking machine? Right? He's somebody that I've been skeptical of a little bit. I've been hesitant to sort of sign off on him being this juggernaut. Right? And it's not that he hasn't beaten anyone because Li Jingliang is certainly a good win. Kevin Holland, certainly a good win. Gilbert Burns, certainly a good win. He's done some stuff but he hasn't been as active and he hasn't been as around and available as I would like him to be. And that gives me a little bit of pause. We've only seen him fight in this weight class at 185 a couple of times. One of them was on a, yep, we're just going to do it at 185 because I didn't make weight thing last September. And that was the last time he fought. So we got 13 months between previous fight and this one. And now we're going up in weight and he looks terrific. Mike Bone tweeted out a picture saying he seems to have filled out nice. He certainly looks the part of 85. And what if he is just this guy, right? What if he is just one of these dudes that is head and shoulders better than everybody else and is just going to march undaunted to the top of the division? It's entirely possible. I was all the way in on him throttling Kamaru Usman from the time this fight was announced. I give... Usman all the credit in the world for jumping into this fight, for making his debut against this monster, but I felt it was going to be absolutely one-sided. And I said that was my question because I have a new one. And my new question is what's up with Kamara Usman's knee? By now, if you are online, if you are an MMA community member, MMA Twitter follower, you've seen the video of Kamara Usman's open workout where he slams Justin Gaethje to the ground or just sort of elevate and dumps Justin Gaethje to the ground. They collapse onto the mat and and Gaethje grabs his arm and sort of says to him, are you okay? And it sounds like Kamaru Usman says, nah, something popped. And they get up and they clap it up and they walk off the, off the mats and that's the end of their open workout. I mean, look, I thought it was going to be one-sided to begin with. And if his knee is compromised, then it's just going to be one. It's just going to be even more one-sided and it sucks, right? This isn't taking anything away from Usman. This isn't, you know, downgrading injuries suck. They happen. It's a part of the game. If this is serious, if this is a bad injury to me, and I know people don't like hearing these things, 
pull out of the fight, withdraw from the fight. If this is a legitimate, I heard a pop and this thing isn't right. There's no need to go in there with this monster. You're not proven anything. Your legacy is cemented. Long reigning welterweight champion, 15 fight winning streak in the UFC to start your career. You're good. You don't have anything left to prove, especially not from a look at how tough I am perspective by gutting out this knee injury and going in here with this unbeaten killer. We need to find out. Everybody's talking about it. I'm sure it will be addressed. Gaethje has come out and said, ah, he didn't say that. He said, everything's fine. Whatever, whatever, whatever. That's what they're going to say. If Kamaru Usman is hurt, I I would like him to withdraw from this fight. I would like the UFC to step in and say, hey, can't go. Your knee's jacked up. Go get it fixed. We'll we'll do middleweight another. We'll do middleweight when you come back, if you want to come back. Because like, let's not forget, Kamaru Usman, in his mid to late 30s now. And so a knee injury, if it's serious and it's nine months, 12 months, might be the unfortunate end of things. Might be the sign of, of full decline that comes for everybody. This could be father time, just finally putting his hand on Kamaru Usman's shoulder and saying, me and you got to have a talk. But if he's hurt, don't go in there with, with Hamzat Chemaev. That is a That is a bad idea. Move to the middle fight on the main card. The return of Magomed Ankalaev against Johnny Walker at light heavyweight. My question is, will Ankalaev make a statement? Ankalaev is one of those guys that I've been high on for quite some time. Obviously, we haven't seen him fight since last December when he battled Jan Bohovic to a split draw in a fight for the vacant light heavyweight title. Just the worst possible result the UFC and both athletes could have gotten in, and in terms of the way the fight played out too, right? Wahovic looks like he's on his way to winning. He's chopping out that lead leg. He looks great. He's up 3-0. And then all of a sudden, Ankalaev decides to wrestle and he gets a 10-8 in one of those last two rounds and we end up with a split draw. Nobody gets the belt. The UFC instantly moves on and is like, screw them. We're going to Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira. That hasn't worked out. Now that Jamal Hill's blown his Achilles. And so here we are. We've got a championship fight next month. Yuri Prohashka, Alex Prahea at MSG. But this to me feels like number one contender, title eliminator. And as good as Johnny Walker has looked as of late, as improved as he has been in dialing back the crazy and showing some patience, showing some technique, the focus for me here is Ankalaev because I think this is a fight where he can go out and potentially make a statement. I think it's there. I think he's a terrific wrestler. I think he has nasty ground and pound when he wants to. He's got a submission game. We've seen that be a bit of the Achilles heel for Johnny Walker. No pun intended for Jamal Hill or no pain intended for Jamal Hill with the Achilles there. But we've seen that in the past, right? We've seen Johnny Walker taken down beaten up on the ground by guys like Nikita Krilov and Magomed Ankalaev is better than Nikita Krilov. But it's almost a question of just, will he like, does he have it in him to go out there and do this? Cause this is what's sitting here. And he came out slow out of the gates against Blahovich. He didn't have any answer for the leg kicks. He didn't start wrestling until the fourth round. And it felt like, what are we even doing? He finally got there. It finally produced some results. So hopefully 
after 10 months of sitting in the shadows and not really anybody talking about him at, in this division being a bit of an afterthought, he needs to make a statement. He needs to come out and have that performance that makes everybody go, oh, right, this is why he was fighting for the title. This is why we thought he could be champion. Go out and stop Johnny Walker's winning streak. Go out, turn in a performance that makes you undeniable, right? I talked to him all the way along up to the fight with Bojevich, and it was always, I will get there when I get there. It's going to come. These people can't beat me. He got there. He didn't lay an egg, but it wasn't the performance that he needed. And the result turned out that way. He didn't leave with the belt. You can argue and quibble about the scorecards. It is what it is. Split draw. Nobody got the title. Now he needs to show he deserves to be there again. He deserves to be next in line to face the winner of Prohashka and Pahea. He's talented enough. He's skilled enough. He might be the most skilled fighter in this division. He's got to just put it together and show it on Saturday. Next up, we move back to middleweight. Ikram Aliskarov versus Warley Alvarez. Alves, excuse me. And my question is, where does Aliskarov fit at middleweight? This is a guy I've been super high on for some time since his debut, but even dating back to his contender series win because that was a great performance against Mario Souza, a guy that had been on the contender series a couple of times. And it was one of those performances where as soon as he got into what he wanted to do, we were done. It was 12 seconds, I believe, from the time he initiated the clinch and put Souza on the ground to the time Souza was tapping to the Kimura. And so then he goes out in his debut at UFC 288 in May and just wallops Phil Haas. He eats some shots early. The fight lasts a little over three minutes. He gets hit with some stuff early, but he wears it all well. There's never a point where he's in danger or he's rocked and Phil Haas is charging forward. And then he sleeps him just sends him straight to the shadow realm, a right hand down the pipe, out you go, see you later. He's 14 and one. That one loss is to Hamzat Chemaev in a catchweight bout a few years ago, Brave Combat, Brave Combat Federation or whatever it's called, Brave CF. I mean, if the loss is Hamzat Chemaev, it's hard to quibble. It's hard to argue. And so he looks like the real deal. And earlier this year, the UFC booked him in against Paulo Costa at UFC 291 in Salt Lake City. That fight didn't happen. It didn't materialize. It didn't stay together. But just the indication that they were willing to do that was the sign to me that they believe they have somebody here. I agree. This was supposed to be Nasruddin Imovov. Nas pulled out because of visa issues. In comes Warley Alves. This fight doesn't necessarily tell us all that much in terms of where he fits in the hierarchy, but it's another chance to figure out just how good this guy is and get a sense of who he might be able to compete with. I said last week in about Saturday's action, after Michelle Pahea got his victory in his middleweight debut, let's just get him in there with a top 10 opponent and figure this out. Get a, get a read right now and suggested Jack Hermanson. That's kind of how I feel about Aliskarov after this one. Should he get a victory? If he goes out and stomps Warley Alves, let's not play around. Let's just get him in there with somebody with a single digit next to their name and find out where he stands. Because in talking to him today, he wants to be active. He wants to be short notice available for the UFC. They've already shown that they have interest 
in giving him an accelerated rise up through the ranks, by booking him in that fight with Costa, by signing him to this fight with Imavov before it came apart. So let's just do it again. If we're not going to do Pahea and Hermanson, do Aliskarov and Hermanson or someone in that range. Feels like the right thing to do, the right way to go. And I really want to see where this guy lands at 185. Because 185 is in a weird spot right now. Right? We talked about it a little bit yesterday. Usman Chemaev is the winner gets next. Screws things up. DDP's there. I know Izzy has taken some time off, but he's still certainly there. Rob Whitaker ain't going nowhere. Jared Cannonier is in the mix. He took a fight. Roman Delizze can put himself in the mix if he wins that fight. Like, 85's moving. It's confusing. It's shuffling. There's a chance for Aliskarov to, to really put himself in, in, the, in the thick of things with a strong performance on Saturday. Main card opener. Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Muin Gafarov. My question is, have expectations limited the way we think about Saeed Nurmagomedov? And I want to explain this one a little bit because he feels like a guy to me that every time I see him on a fight card or anytime we talk about him, it's sort of the like, the big breakout is right around the corner. And I don't know that it is, but I also think that's perfectly fine. So he's six and two in the UFC, 17 and three overall, which are both very good marks. His last loss was to Jonathan Martinez last time out. Jonathan Martinez, of course, last weekend, beat the hell out of Adrian Yanez's lead leg and got a victory there, his sixth straight. To me, he is a clear 13 through 18 guy in the bantamweight division, which is a good spot to be in. This is the best, most competitive division in the UFC, in my opinion. And so if you are in that lower third of the top 15 or just outside, it means you are a damn good fighter. And yet, as I said, that feels a little bit disappointing. Because when he arrived on the scene, the expectation it felt was for him to be a contender. And he hasn't gotten there. The weird thing to me is, is that I think he's a little bit limited because of his last name. I think people see Nurmagomedov and hear Nurmagomedov and go, contender. Even though he's not related to Khabib. Like not, right? This isn't Cousin Umar. This isn't Usman over in Bellator. No relation here. But I think people hear the name and go, has to be top 10. And when you're not, and you're 31, going to be 32 very soon, they kind of go, well, it's not as good as we expected. But number 13 through 18 at bantamweight in the UFC is pretty damn good. And so in a fight against the guy in Muin Gafarov, who got a short notice opportunity last time out, held his own against John Castaneda, but feels like a guy that rightfully is the underdog in this fight. I want to see if we can get a quality Saeed Nurmagomedov performance and sort of get back to rating this dude properly, get back to talking about him properly and sort of processing who he is and where he fits in this weight class a little bit better. Because I understand that the expectations maybe haven't been met, but he still had a pretty good career. Winning 75% of your fights in the UFC is pretty damn good. And we need to talk about things and athletes that do that in that way far more often than we do. 
It's one question for every fight for UFC 294 here on Keyboard Kimura, presented by One Bone. I am E. Spencer Kite. We are moving to the prelims. Tim Elliott versus Muhammad Makayev. My question is simply, is Makayev ready to make a run? This is the fight that is the test, right? This is the measuring stick for right now. And I know there will be some people that are like, really, Tim Elliott is the guy? Yeah, Tim Elliott's the guy. Tim Elliott has done relatively well as of late. He's on the best stretch of his career in the UFC, winning four of his last five. He is the constant litmus test. This is his role in the division. I think he accepts it. I think he knows it. I think he appreciates it. And we just got to see. And as high as I was on Makayev at the start of his UFC career, and as much as I still think he has a wealth of talent, the last two outings don't really have me over the moon anymore. Like I came into this and he runs through Cody Durden in his debut. And I just think, yeah, this kid's the goods. And then he kind of plays around with Malcolm Gordon a little bit a year ago in Abu Dhabi, gets a third round finish and it's fine. It's a good win. And he comes out and he says the right things, right? He comes out and he says, I, you know, kind of playing around and playing to the crowd and trying to give them a good show. And I can't do that at this level. And all these guys are really good. And so I've got to be more focused. Then he fights Jafel Filo in March in London. And in the third round of that fight, I thought he was dead to rights. I thought the winning streak, the unbeaten streak, the zero in the loss column was gone because that knee bar was nasty. My knee still hurts thinking about it. The, the torque and the flex that was in that leg. And somehow he guts it out. Somehow he gets through it. And not only that, but he quickly responds and gets a neck crank submission win on Jafel Filo, who came out in his fight after that against Daniel Perez and looked great. But it just sort of feels like if we're struggling and, and not getting through Malcolm Gordon as easy as we probably should, and we're struggling and not getting through Jafel Filo as easily as we probably should, and we're getting stuck in bad spots in both fights. I need to see this one because Tim Elliott is a guy that will just grind you out and just create a grimy, ugly, messy, mucky fight and beat you 29-28 on two scorecards, win a split decision, and then you're not undefeated anymore. And so if you're Muhammad Makayev, set aside the John Jones stuff. I don't care. If you want to be somebody that is the real deal in this division and is poised to be a contender and is ready to start facing top 10 opponents, you need to go out and put on a show on Saturday against Tim Elliott, who is a guy that historically doesn't beat contenders, doesn't beat the guys at the top of the division. So if that's where you believe you can be and you should be, show us on Saturday. Next up, we move to the lightweight division, Muhammad Yaya versus Trevor Peak. My question is, what will Yaya bring to the table? So this is one of those situations where the UFC goes back to Abu Dhabi. They sign a fighter from UAE Warriors in Yaya. And it's one of those, I have no idea what to expect situations. He has a good record, 12 and three. Hasn't really fought anybody. Hasn't really beaten anybody of real substance. And by no means am I saying that Trevor Peak is. 
because Trevor Peak is the embodiment of Meet Me at the Bike Racks, graduated to the UFC. It's wild, it's ugly, it's sloppy. He was exhausted against Chepe Marichal last time out. But he's still a guy that's got some power and is going to be swinging hammers from Jump Street. And so I'm really fascinated in these situations to see these guys that sort of get spotlight opportunities and showcase opportunities on cards in the UAE, in, on cards at near the top of the card, near the top of the preliminary card here. This is a spotlight opportunity, right? This isn't the opener. He's getting put in a position where people will be there to see him and want to see him. And so can he deliver? We've had a bunch of these athletes over the course of this year that have shown up in the UFC, shiny records, not sure who they fought, not sure who they've beaten. And it's been mixed results, right? Asul Amabayev looked really good last time out in his debut against Ode Osborne. Hussein Ashkabov, not so much. And that dude's gonzo now. Got all kinds of other problems to deal with besides Jamal Emmers and losing his UFC debut. But we get these guys all the time. And there's no way to really know until they get in there. Trevor Peak is a good entrance exam. He is a good entrance test. If you can't beat Trevor Peak, you probably should not be competing at this level. So we'll see on Saturday. I go into this one with no expectations, with no preset ideas about this man. And I just want to see it. I just want to sit down and make some reads and gather some data myself and see what it tells me. Move to bantamweight, Javid Basharat versus Victor Henry. My question is, can Basharat start to stand out? So I'm a big fan of Javid and his brother Farid, spoken to both throughout their UFC careers now, brief as they may be. I think they have a world of skill. I think they are super talented. And thus far, Javid hasn't stood out. He's had three good wins. They are all very good performances. I think they are victories over fighters who are always going to be a little bit underrated. Trevin Jones. Tony Gravely, Mateusz Mendonce, who just went down to flyweight. That certainly doesn't help him either, right? Mendonce goes down, moves to flyweight, gets finished in the first round by Nate Manus, and you look at Javid Bashrat and go, you went the distance with him. Javid's calculating. He is technical. He is sharp. He is precise. He is clean. He is fundamentally sound. He's good everywhere. He's not taking crazy risks. But in a division like Bantamweight, where there are just great opportunities, great appearances every single weekend, it's hard to get ahead and hard to stand out when you're just putting forth clean, precise, technical decision victories. Victor Henry is the kind of guy, in theory, on paper, that is going to force you to get a little bit, bring a little bit more out of yourself. Going to force you to get a little bit outside of your comfort zone and do a little more because he's tough. He's scrappy. He's a veteran. He's been all over the world. He's not going to be phased by a single damn thing. He's coming off a bounce back win over Tony Gravely himself. Had that good win at the start of last year against Haoni Barcelos in his debut. Good competitive fight. It's a good step up for Javid Basharat. I think there is opportunity for him to be a top 15 close to that top 15 guy inside of the next 12 months. 
before next year is out, I think he could be there. But it's going to take a big standout performance. It's going to take one of those kind of shiny, okay, now now you've got my attention performances. Or else it's going to end up being the Chris Gutierrez track or the Jonathan Martinez track, where you need to win seven of eight if you're Martinez before you get those opportunities to get a six-fight winning streak together and get onto the main card. Same with Gutierrez, right? Unbeaten in eight through that Frankie Edgar fight. Takes that to get to a Pedro Munoz fight where people start going, hey, Chris Gutierrez, and then it goes sideways. So if you want opportunities, if you want bigger fights, you want bigger names, you want to ascend, sometimes it's not just about winning. And I hate that I have to say that because I'm the guy that just values winning. This isn't figure skating. This isn't style points to me. Get a victory. I can tell who's good, who's not that you beat. I'm okay with that. But for the population at large and for the UFC matchmakers themselves, put some style points on it. Go out and show that you deserve a showcase opportunity. You can't talk about I'm ready for main events and I want big names and be squeaking out 29-28 every time out. It needs to be more than that. I hate that I'm saying it, but it needs to be more than that. Move to middleweight. Abu Azaitar versus Cedricus Dumas. And my question is, what's reasonable, reasonable excuse me, to expect from each man? Abu Azaitar is one of these guys that he's got two fights in the UFC. The first one came in 2016, I believe, defeated Vitor Miranda. The last one came several years ago, losing to Marc-Andre Barrio in a fight where he started quickly and Power Bar just hung with him and put him away late. I have no sense of what to expect from this man. He's been in and out of fights. He's dropped out of more fights than he's had in the UFC. There's no way to know. He's another one of these guys that's being showcased in the Middle East. He's a resident now of Morocco, very tight with their with their monarchy, with their ruler. This is a, hey, we're giving you a shot on this card over here. Put you back in. It's been some years. Here you go. This is no expectations for him. This He could look great, more likely going to look not great. And so we'll see. Excuse me. Dumas is the interesting one to me. He didn't look good in his debut against Josh Fremd. Looked like a young, inexperienced fighter. And Aaron Bronstetter pointed out a really tremendous fact about these athletes when he and I were speaking on Monday. Cedricus Dumas's career began after Abu Azetar's last fight in the UFC. So the experience level, the amount of time as a professional, vastly different here. But Dumas looked good last time out against Cody Brundage. He showed some improvements. Now, the thing that I'm interested in is that that fight, if you remember back in June in Jacksonville, was a fight where it felt like Cody Brundage just didn't turn up. Whether it was he was still sleepy because they were fighting early in the morning on the East Coast or what, he took the fight on short notice and then laid a complete egg and Cedricus Dumas got his first UFC win. Was that victory a result of Cody Brundage just not being there or were the improvements and the gains and the advances really tangible, meaningful, true things from Dumas? I think we'll find out on Saturday 
but this is another one of those fights similar to Yaya versus Peak, where I go in going, I, I just don't know what to expect. I have no sense of what this is going to look like. Again, Abu Azetar hasn't fought in like five years. Who knows? Who knows? The improvements for Dumas could be real. They could be fool's gold. We're going to find out on Saturday. Move back to the lightweight division. Mike Breeden versus Anshul Jubli. And my question is, how much has Jubilee developed since February? So the Indian fighter won the lightweight competition on road to UFC in February. Great performance against Jekka Saragi. Dominating that fight, getting a second round stoppage win. He looked good. Looked very good. Now we've had time. Now we've been back to the gym. We've been back to working out. We've been back to trying to build and add stuff on. And let's see. Mike Breeden is a guy that is 0-3 in the UFC. I'm very surprised that he is still here. This feels like a, hey man, we need you to do us one more solid. And if he goes out and wins, then he earns himself another opportunity. But this kind of feels like, hey, we're going to put you in there with this guy that we'd like to see get a victory. And I'm just being honest. I'm trying to be transparent about things. And so I want to see what kind of improvements Anshul Jubilee has had. Because dominating Jekka Saragi, who doesn't have much wrestling at all, who has a limited background himself, is one thing. Mike Breeden isn't great, but it's one of those things that if you struggle against Mike Breeden, that tells me something, right? This is a refrain I, I repeat regularly on these programs. How you perform against all these different athletes that we have information on all tell us different things. If you roll, it tells me one thing. If it's competitive, that's something else. If you struggle, that's a third. If you lose, warning bells, just sounding. So we're going to see. I want to see what the developments are because he's one of those fighters. Jubilee is one of those fighters that the learning curve is going to be steep. The growth, the growth and development chart could just all of a sudden explode, right? You get in with better training partners, you get an opportunity to work with different coaches, better people, you can take those base solid fundamentals and just blow them through the roof in six, eight months with the right coaching, with the right opportunities. Now, I don't know if that's the case, but I think we're going to get a little bit of an indication on Saturday. And that's all I ask for in fights like this. Move to featherweight, Nathaniel Wood versus Muhammad Naimov. And my question is, who is more primed to move forward? I was surprised, as I said yesterday, that this was the fight that Nathaniel Wood accepted, that he was booked into. I thought with three straight wins at featherweight, the last two coming against Charles Jordan and Andre Feely, he would be a little bit further ahead than welcoming Naimov to the featherweight division after his short notice debut win up a weight class against Jamie Malarkey back in the summer. It's a really good fight. This is a really competitive fight. Do not get me wrong. I think Naimov is a good fighter and a win here certainly injects him into that second 15 at 145. And so this really is a, all right, who's, who's moving forward? Again, I thought Wood would be a little bit further ahead. I thought he was in a position where you get one of those guys in the top 15, but the, the truth of that and the reality of why this fight sort of comes together is something that Sadiq Youssef and I talked about before his fight last weekend against Edson Barbosa. And that is that the featherweight division 
unlike so many others, doesn't really move all that much. If you look at the weight class, he was saying it in relation to he's been off a year and yet he's more or less maintained his place in the division. And that's because we've had the top guys fighting just the top guys, the middle guys fighting just the middle guys, the lower third guys just fighting the lower third guys. And no one really gains too much or loses too much ground in the division. And so Wood hasn't been able to crack the top 15 because those guys that are 15, 14, 13 are fighting the guys that are 12, 11, and 10, and so on and so forth up the divisional ladder, and nothing changes because the people that are ahead win, or if they lose, it's only two spots and no one really falls out. And so we just keep repeating the pattern over and over. And so he's in here on Saturday against a guy in his sophomore appearance in the octagon, but coming off a blistering knockout win, right? Don't forget, up a division, slept Jamie Malarkey. So clearly has some power. Clearly a guy that you have to be aware of and cannot take lightly. So we'll see which one of these two gets their hand raised and then makes a case, hopefully, on the microphone for a date against the top 15 opponent next. Move to strawweight. Victoria Dudakova, excuse me, versus Jinyu Frey. And my question is, what kind of prospect is Dudakova? So she made her debut earlier this year. It lasted 34 seconds. Estela Nunes dislocated her arm. You can't take anything from that. There's nothing to be gleaned from beating Estela Nunes by injury 34 seconds in when it's not an injury you caused, if that makes sense. And so we've got an unbeaten fighter who's 24 years old, who earned her way into the UFC with a very good win over the unbeaten Maria Silva on the Contender Series last year. So that's a bit of an indicator. That's a good baseline of, okay, she's not, she's not a scrub. She's not just being hustled in here because she's 24 and blonde and unbeaten. But Jin Hu Fry is sort of a, to me, a good initial step here or a good as it will be, as it is, second step here. She's struggled of late in terms of results, but Jin is strong. She's experienced. She's tough. She doesn't go away easy. She's not somebody that you just run through. And so this should give us a much better sense, a much better understanding of where Dudakova stands in terms of just her skill development, just in terms of where she's at technically and ability-wise. Strawweight is loaded with talent. There are lots of fighters between her and the top 15, and she's 24. So there's a bunch of time to gain some fights. But Saturday for me is just about getting a chance to actually make some reads against a fighter who has established who I know, right? We've seen enough of Jin Hu Fry between Invicta and now the UFC to understand, as I said, with Anshul Jubilee and Mike Breeden, what it means based on your performance against her. And so for me, it's just sit back, see what this unbeaten 24-year-old Russian can do, and assess from there. Do I think she is the next rising star? I'm not sure. I saw 34 seconds of a fight against Estela Nunes, where Nunes's elbow just went sideways. I can't make assessments from that. Hopefully, we get 15 minutes on Saturday. And if not, hopefully there's reason why 
it went shorter than that. And I'm impressed and I'm able to make some reads. In the opener, middleweight division again, Shara Magomedov versus Bruno Silva. And my question is simply, can Shara Bullet live up to the hype? Right? This is a dude that if you are in the online MMA community, you have heard about. You've seen the highlight reels. You've been waiting for this one. 10 and 0, bunch of knockouts, bunch of finishes. The sizzle reel is actually really sizzling, but he's beaten cans. He hasn't beaten anybody of substance. There's no names on there that anyone outside of maybe Kaposa is like, oh yeah, that dude. And if Kaposa doesn't know him, and I'd love to find out if Kaposa knows all of these dudes that he's fought, then that tells you something. Bruno Silva, I've been talking about this now for a few of these fights. Bruno Silva is beyond the Mike Breeden test. He is even beyond, to me, the Jin Hu Frey test, right? Like he is a dude that has a bunch of first round stoppage wins, that's been in the UFC and put dudes out, right? Brad Tavares, two fights back. He's a guy that went the distance with Alex Pahea in Pahea's second fight in the UFC. That dude went on to win the middleweight title. This dude hung with him for 15 minutes and had moments where he looked good. And so if Shara Bullet is the real deal, he comes out and he smashes through Bruno Silva and we all open the show going, all right, we got yet another name to talk about at middleweight and pay attention to at middleweight. But we're going to find out because Bruno Silva isn't somebody that you play around with and you beat if you're just some scrub. He doesn't lose to bums, or at least he hasn't in the UFC to date. He's lost to good fighters. He's lost to solid fighters and a former champion now who's now fighting for a belt in another division. But this is one of those ones, right? This is to me, these are, this is the way I want to see these hype dudes booked. He's got all this momentum. He's got all of this backing. There's all this buzz around him. Let's just find out. There's no point sitting around, waiting around, wasting time, putting him in there with somebody that no disrespect, does not matter in the division. Bruno Silva is a great initial test, a great entrance exam. Let's see how he does. That is the show. Those are the questions for UFC 294. I'll be back tomorrow with 10 things. I'm excited. I'm, I'm trying to contain. There's an energy going through me right now. I haven't done this. Obviously, I've been a little bit rusty throughout this program because I haven't done a 45-minute show in about three weeks. So I'm kind of working back into a rhythm. I'm that guy that's been on the sidelines for a little bit. I got to get my chops back. I got to get my timing back down, but I will get my range. I will get my rhythm. The energy will still be here. I hope you will be back tomorrow. It's going to be four straight days of shows when we come on board tomorrow. Then we will make it five on Friday with the picks and plays. No show on Saturday, but we'll drop 10 things. We'll be back on Sunday with the next day takeaways. And then we're in an, into an off week but I will be delivering some content during that off week. I'm not sure what yet. Probably going to get the young King Harry Powell back on the program to talk about UFC 294 and some stuff that's coming up in the future. But for now, I remind you, check out the Substack, Check out the Twitter and Instagram at Spencer Kite. Check out the boys at OneBone, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite. Use the promo code Spencer Kite at checkout for 15% off your full order. The fall collection just came out. It's dope. There's a jacket. There's a vest. There's some long sleeve polos that came out two drops back. New stuff drops every couple of weeks. Go check them out. I'm telling you, I'm rocking bone on bone today. Same as always. Go check out the boys. 
use that promo code, get your discount, and then get yourself some more One Bone because it is the best thing going. God, it feels good to be back. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you for bearing with me. I love you. I appreciate you. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. And we'll see you tomorrow. The 10 things I like about UFC 294.